Welcome to the Brazil Church of the Nazarene Weekly Sermon. This message is from Sunday, February 17, 2019, and is titled, The Burden and Joy of Ministry. Pastor Marlon Betts uses Philippians 2, 12-18 to share the impact that the burdens and joys of ministry had on Paul's life. Here is Pastor's message. Let's turn our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, or you can follow along on the screen. We're going to start again kind of towards the paragraph and verse 12, but we're really heading down to verses 16, 17, and 18 this morning as we continue this series. And let's stand together as we read Philippians 2, 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence... Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmur, 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 murmuring. I love that word. And disputing, which is really doubting. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. So that, this is today's, so that I, Paul, may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain, Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Oh, some good stuff. Lord, we just thank you that you give us reason to be rejoice and be glad. I'll make a joyful shout. I'm coming before his presence with thanksgiving. And we're going to clang the cymbals and the high-sounding cymbals and blow the loud trumpets and, and declare that the truth is of Jesus. And praise him and lift him up and glorify his name because he is almighty God. He's worthy of our praise. And he's worthy of our worship and he's worthy of our work. And he's worthy to work within us. And thank you, Lord. So do the work within us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And we've been talking about the background, Jesus' humiliation and exaltation, that Jesus came to the obedient to the death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has exalted him. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confesses, Jesus Christ is Lord. And out of that comes the passage we read today, that God wants to work in us. And we need to work daily. Work on your own salvation with fear and trembling. And uh, as we work on our salvation, he works within us to make the necessary changes in our lives. It takes real effort. It takes work. You don't just become a Christian and, and slide. you got to work. Keep on marching. Keep on calling. Keep on moving. Um, so we need to take that effort to grow and be a Christian. Your effort, God's effort. 
And then he wrote, there are two things Christians should work to do without. You don't need these things, murmuring and doubting. And there were two things Christians should work to add to their lives. Christian integrity, talks about being blameless and harmless and all those words. Christian integrity, in contrast to that world which is perverse. And also Christian witnessing, getting out into that perverse generation and sharing the good news, letting your light shine, right? Shine as lights in the world, holding fast, or really the word is holding forth the word of life, giving them the word, holding it out to them, sharing it, good stuff. How many like Mary Marlowe? Yeah, she's challenging us that we got to hold forth the word of life. We got to let our light shine. And you're going to hear more from her. I said, preach it, Mary, preach it. Because we need this as the body of Christ. So that's where we ended up Christian witnessing. Amen. So today's lesson, Paul gets more personal. How does the response of the Philippian Christians, or how does the lack of response by other churches affect Paul? How does it affect him personally? So Paul wanted his readers to know that their growth in Christ, or their lack of effort to grow in Christ, affected him on a very personal level. In these words, we see the heart and passionate missionary pastor. We see his heart. In this passage, we can see the burden and the joy of ministry. And that's the title of today's sermon. And I hope Paul's words help you understand that ministry from his perspective, from the leader's perspective, and it's different from the perspective of the person in the pew or in the soft, cushy chairs. There is different perspectives, and Paul is sharing his perspective here. And so he pointed out three aspects of ministry leadership for us to look at today. And you can write these in your bulletin on the back. The first one is, the first aspect is the concern about being ineffective. The concern about being ineffective. That's pretty cool. I don't think any of them hit the target. All right. So Paul wanted these Philippian Christians to work hard, work your own salvation. God works in you. Do without some things, add some things into your life. Make these necessary changes in your life so that when Paul got to heaven, he could rejoice that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. He says that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. When Paul says when I get to heaven, I want to be able to rejoice that I have not run in vain. That I have not labored in vain. That I have not been ineffective. I'm going to spend a little time here. Sometimes I look at Paul from the Jewish mindset. In fact, most of Scripture, we look at it from the Jewish mindset. But Paul, although he was a Jew, was a Roman citizen who grew up in Tarshish, which is not a Jewish city. And he traveled extensively to Greek and Roman cities. 
and was well immersed in their culture. Yes, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel and learned the Jewish culture as well and was very steeped in it in the Old Testament. But he was very culturally aware. And he's writing to a Roman colony. And so he is talking in language, and we've talked about this enough, specific words. And sometimes we try to put him back into that Jewish mindset. No, he's talking to the Greeks and Romans. And the Macedonians in this case, and the Romans. But we have to remember that Paul, being this, was well immersed in the culture, and he knew that each of their cities had a gymnasium where athletes, this would not be a Jewish thing, but in the Roman culture, it would have been, and Greek culture especially, been part of it. These athletes would train daily. They were sports figures. They were well known. They competed in all kinds of games on a regular basis out of which the Olympics was born every four years. But the Isthmian Games, and there was some other stuff, plus local contests and regional contests. And these were big things. And so they would go to the gymnasium, and they would train. And they would work at whatever they were. Maybe they were as a boxer, or maybe they, they threw javelins, or, or maybe they were wrestlers, or maybe they were runners. And so he's using that run, run, but not in vain. Right? This is kind of interesting. It would be a, a waste of years of hard work for these athletes to train and train and train and never win an event. To never win met the person trained and competed in vain. You would run in vain. And so I looked it up. I knew one of the facts, but I didn't know the others. Did you know that 11... National Hockey League teams have never won a Stanley Cup. Did you know there are eight Major League Baseball teams that have never won the World Series? That's been around for a long time. Do you know there's seven National Basketball Association teams, NBA teams, that have never played in a championship final? Never made it to the final two. What are you spending all your money on? There are four, this is the one I knew, four NFL teams that have never played in a Super Bowl. Not even shown up to the big dance, as they call it. Let alone tried to win. That's because the Patriots keep everybody from going. But you think about this, how many billions and millions of dollars have been spent on these teams over the years and they have never made it? And we still cheer them on. And we still buy our whatever, anyway. And wear the jerseys proudly. And support a team that hasn't even made it to the final two. Or to the, get the ring on the finger or whatever it is. Hoist the Stanley Cup. You think of all this. How frustrating to those athletes and those teams and their owners if you never get to win your entire life. So what about that phrase, run in vain? Then the phrase, labored in vain. Paul worked hard as a tent maker to support his ministry. 
What if he completed a tent? And then the person showed up and he got all done. And instead of paying them the money, they say, I don't want that worthless piece of garbage. What if you worked hard on that term paper? Put your blood, sweat, and tears into it. And got an F. Or like my dad. My dad, to supplement his uh, work as a pastor, always worked on the side and um, usually carpentry work. Not always did he have to work on the side, but a lot of times he did. And so he made this complete set of cupboards for this lady. And got them all up there. I mean, wood. And she wanted wood grain. And didn't want it painted. So you got them all stained and all hung and whatever. And she came in and did not like the way the wood grain was. So he had to take off all the cupboard doors and remake them and varnish them and whatever and put them up there. And she didn't like the wood grain on the second set. I guess she expected the wood grain to look like the, the fake stuff. Not the real stuff, which you can't control. And so he lost money on the deal, and the husband said, the first set were good enough, we're leaving this set up. He vetoed the wife. But she didn't like the grain of the wood. You can't control the grain of the wood, folks. But she thought you could. So you labor in vain, because you bid for a project and you get it for that amount, regardless of what it costs you in the carpentry business. What about ministering in vain? We don't think about this. Let Paul give you some insight into the heartbeat of a passionate pastor and missionary because Paul expressed concern that he could pour his life into a group of people, even start a church, and then the people would stop responding, stop working on their own salvation, stop growing in Christ and allowing Christ to work in them, start murmuring and doubting and and disputing and, and complaining and doing all those other things and stop focusing on their integrity and their witness for Jesus Christ. And that's what happens is Paul says that I'm working and I'm laboring and I'm running in vain. That I would pour out my life and pour out my heart and give and give and give for the cause of Jesus Christ. And the people would say, I'm done. No more. If there's no true response to God, then you have wasted your time and energy, it seems like, for nothing. Those of you on the listening side of a sermon or on a lesson do not understand how much time and preparation goes into preparation for lessons and sermons and talks to the youth and talks to the children and And how much energy and expectation goes into delivery. And how the Spirit's anointing is felt in the the sanctuary. And then, it seems like sometimes nobody catches a glimpse. There is no clue. I've heard some people say it. Cindy's probably in... Children's church, but she'd say, I've got, I'm all ready, I'm, I'm ready to go, and then it's just a disaster, right? Teens feel the same way. 
Mary was talking about Youth for Christ, and they used to have her out in the cafeteria, and they don't want to push Youth for Christ anymore at the middle school, so they put her back in some gym, out-of-way place. And while she's trying to teach a lesson, the track team's running around her, and sometimes through her. It's almost like it's being done on purpose. And then they come by and steal her snacks. And there's another group that works out in there too, isn't it? Yeah. It's got like two groups working out in there while she's supposed to have a lesson. And you feel like sometimes you're just laboring in vain, running in vain. And we come in here sometimes and put so much energy and whatever, and I'm just, just sharing with you, and you get to the end, and the Spirit is here, and we say, it's family altar time. And you wonder sometimes why I look disappointed. Because if we know God is speaking, and nobody is moving, and the preparation and the effort has gone into it, it feels like you're ineffective. Any teacher knows what it's like. Any missionary, any pastor, to try hard. And I'm grateful for the two or three that come down and pray. But I realized that if the response was totally allow God to work within me and allow me to work with God to make changes, that we would every morning have a bunch of people praying and asking God to do something in their heart and life. Amen? I'm grateful for them. I know that some people respond to God's voice without coming to an altar. But usually when a real decision to change takes place, it involves physical movement. It involves you saying, no, I'm just not going to think about it. I'm going to do something about it. And a mental desire is not enough. The whole body needs to make an effort to admit the need for prayer and to literally respond by publicly calling on God. And this is when real change takes place. Sitting still usually means I've got a good intention, but no real desire to change and grow. And that's the problem with sitting still. And I know that. And it's always the unmentioned thing in the room. And this is one of the heaviest burdens that ministers carry. And Paul laid it out here. I've never preached this before, but he's the one that said it. And when you're going through here, they, verse by verse like we're doing, you hit these kind of things. And you finally just say, well, maybe the people need to hear it. Because pastor after pastor stands in front. They prepare. They deliver their soul. And everybody says, I'm Okay. Well, maybe you've asked Jesus into your heart, but are you growing deeper? Are you getting everything that you need to be getting? Are you applying it to your life? Are you going to do something about it? Yeah, I'm going to do something about it someday. And that attitude makes it ineffective in the response. Almost every week, I literally deal with the concern that I am ineffective. I deal with that. This is why I rely so much on my prayer partners. I don't know if you understand this, how it works. 
But the prayers of my partners literally encourage me that this week's things will be different. <laughs> that someone is going to respond. That someone is going to say yes. That someone will begin to grow. That our efforts will not be in vain. And last week as a large group gathered down here in the front to pray for the Bechtel and Breeden families, we had an effective ministry as a church body. It was effective. It really was. And some of you literally prayed down support for me this week. You literally did. And I know that. I felt it as I prepared. I felt it as I preached the memorial service. So some of you told me, we prayed for you, Pastor. It's not easy to do a memorial service for a one-month-old. It's not easy to be the parents of that one-month-old or the family. And so that's why we pray and we be effective. We have to be in our ministry. And I am praying and sometimes fasting for a spiritual breakthrough here in our church because we need some spiritual work accomplished in our personal lives and in our homes and in our relationships, in our finances, in our addictions, in our excuses, in our spiritual laziness. We need a breakthrough right here. And I'm not the only one. Talked to a pastor this week, said the same thing. They're fasting and praying. Because we have become complacent churches in America. Too complacent, too easily satisfied with a shallow relationship with God. Paul felt like the Philippian Christians, if they didn't grow in Christ, he had worked in vain. No one likes to see their efforts wasted. We should all take our salvation and spiritual growth very seriously. It takes effort to become a Christian. It takes effort to remain a Christian. Most of that effort is done by Jesus. But we have to also respond and open up and give and grow and do. God has put in a tremendous amount of effort for your Christianity. How much effort are you putting into it as you respond to God? So I'm not asking you to respond to me. I never have. I just want to let you know, Paul is saying, if you do all this and nothing happens, it feels like it's in vain. If we never have a victory, it feels like it's in vain. If people aren't growing, it's in vain. It's ineffective. It hurts. But there's another aspect of ministry that he wrote about. The challenge of giving your all. Verse 17. Yes, and if I am being poured out, as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. If I am being poured out as a drink offering, 
everyone in the Greek and Roman world that Paul lived in, again, we have to get away from the, just the Jewish mindset where we know about sacrifices. But everyone in the Greek and Roman world of Paul would have also known about the sacrifices to the heathen gods. It, were, it was very common. It was so common as us saying grace at our meal. Instead, they would take a, a, a glass of wine and before the meal, pour it out in honor of Zeus or whoever it was. Before they started. That was their grace. Sometimes they would even do it after a meal. We'll just waste some of our, of our, of our drink right here to let the gods know that we love them before we start our meal. Very common thing to do. Also, when you were making a sacrifice to one of these gods at one of the temples in town, which there's usually a bunch of them, because you didn't want to get any of the gods angry, right? If you're going to go out in the ocean or the Mediterranean Sea or whatever, you didn't want to get Neptune angry at you. He might cause a storm and you'd lose all your cargo. And on and on it goes. They had their gods that they all prayed to for their particular kind of business. And so they would make a sacrifice before they headed out. And so the sacrifice of meat would cost them something. But on top of that, they might put some extra oil on there or some extra wine. Because why? They didn't want only just what everybody else was doing. They wanted to go the extra mile and get a little blessing from that God. So they pulled out a libation, they called it, in addition to the sacrifice. Paul wrote that when the Philippian Christians, because of their faith, worked hard in serving God, that was their sacrifice to God. And he would add to that sacrifice as their leader by pouring out his own libation on their efforts. Every time they sacrificed in serving God and growing in Christ, Paul was right there in spirit, pouring out his life with theirs through prayer and ministry for God. And he felt it so much because this is what he did his entire life. Church after church, letter after letter, sermon after sermon, being in prison, being beat, being shipwrecked, being whatever, and just pouring out and pouring out and pouring out his life. Because of the cause of Jesus Christ. Because God poured out his life for Paul. On an old rugged cross. And knocked him from a horse. And said, Paul, you certainly saw you persecuting me. I hope that somewhere in your life, and I hope everybody in here has at one point in their life given 100% for something. Maybe it's a high school basketball team or, or whatever it is. Maybe you know, cheerleading squad or maybe it was that you put 100% into decorating for the wedding of your daughter or something. There's something in your life that you gave and gave and gave and gave until you were poured out. Remember that feeling? Just gave. And then, when you thought you'd come to the last of your resources, something else came up. And you had to dig deep and find that 10% more, that 5% more, when you'd given 100%. And you literally, at that point, said, 
I don't know if I can do another thing. And God came and said, I can help you. Amen? That's what Paul is talking about here. Giving your all. Here's my sacrificial gift. And here's a little extra beside. When you are passionate about something, you give it everything you have. And when it is done, you are sweaty and tired and drained. Or as Paul wrote, poured out. Poured out. For Paul, being poured out was more than just exhaustion in ministry. For Paul, being poured out at this point, writing from prison, chained to Roman guards, was a whole idea of, if this is my time, I will be poured out on the sacrifice of your ministry and your faith. Because Paul was willing to die for the cause of Jesus. And if it meant literally dying, and it did, eventually for Paul. He was ready to play the ultimate price in death. He was awaiting trial. The emperor could actually kill him because of his stand. His life would literally be poured out as a sacrifice for Christ. The problem today is when we preach about this, laboring in vain and being poured out, is that we don't have many examples in Christianity today, in our leadership today, of people that we know who have poured out themselves until they were giving their lives in vain, so to speak. And no one responding. Modern Christians don't face a lot of persecution today in America. Unlike those early Christians... I don't know about you, but I've never attended a church where they hauled somebody out and threw them into the, the arena for lion's deed. I've never seen anybody I went to church with burned at a stake. I didn't see the kids ripped away from them and killed before their eyes. I didn't see any of that kind of stuff. I haven't seen anybody get fired from their job because they're a Christian. But this was common stuff in Paul's day. Common stuff. And so we struggle today with the idea of giving our all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And we love singing it, but we don't have very many examples of people who are doing it. We struggle with the idea of being poured out like a sacrifice for God in a hard and hard work and, and, and ministry, willing to go anywhere, willing to grow spiritually, willing to surrender to God's will, regardless of the personal cost. Well, the missionaries can do that. But don't ask me to do it. In fact, we struggle with the whole idea of finding time to start a ministry group to reach outside the walls of our church. Oh, I'm sorry. Mary's going to preach in a few minutes. I don't have time to serve God today. We don't know what poured out means anymore. We don't know the cost of a, of a person going to hell. 
It doesn't bother us anymore. We're not troubled with the fact that God has given us some people that come in on the bus and some come in with, in cars that are not Christians. When's the last time we fasted for a lost person to get saved? When's the last time we went the extra mile to make sure that somebody heard about Jesus? And we all struggle with this because we don't have good examples of it. Because if we ever found somebody who lived that way, they're crazy. Boy, it's quiet. Because I struggle with it. Because I haven't seen any examples of it. I don't know what a poured out Paul looks like. But I know what ineffective ministry feels like. <laughs> well, this is good preaching and a wonderful, uplifting sermon. Paul, why did you put this in here? We used to sing a soul-searching song. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart, does the spirit control? You will only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield him your body and soul. Well, that's good for the missionaries. I watched my brother pack his stuff in the back of a suburban with a trailer on behind and head off to Mexico. He and his wife, before the days of cell phones, and did not know if I would ever see him again. He was my hero. He was my big brother. He's the one that taught me how to play softball or baseball. He was on the little league team. And so, and he was left-handed. So he taught me to bat left-handed. And although I'm right-handed, I bat left-handed today. Thanks to my brother teaching me. And I watched him leave. And the sacrifices that he made. We didn't hear from him, because the only way they could contact was when they came back across the border, they would come out to Texas and they would call. They had to come out every six months to renew, and we find out they're still alive. They call mom and dad. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Are you giving 100%? They were down there amongst the Zapotego Indian tribes, and there was a group that was opposing them, the indigenous group led by the Catholics in that area years ago. Catholics ran Mexico. And so they decided to poison the gringo in his work. That day he got called out, red tape, Government stuff, spent all day, wasted. Everything's manana, manana, manana. Nobody's in a hurry down there. 
And so he wasted an entire day, came back. They were having a work bee at the church, and they'd poisoned the food. My brother Glenn was not there. But the people got sick, and one little boy, 12 years old, one of his first converts, died. Brother's wife got pregnant and expecting a son. So he took some classes and had some midwives to deliver the baby. They didn't do that again. 23 hours of labor. Thought he'd lost his wife and his son. Miracle. Next baby was born in the United States. He's out down cutting down a tree with his chainsaw to build the church. As trees fall, they kick. Show off the chainsaw, the tree fell, kicked out, took him right off the leg, hanging by a piece of skin. He said he tore clumps of dirt out of that hillside with his bare hands. So much pain. In the process of taking his leg off, it pinched it so he didn't bleed out. His wife said, an RN, she was there, did what she could. She packed the, the leg in ice. They had to wait, I don't know, eight hours or something before they finally could get a life flight out to their remote village, pick him up and take him back to Oaxaca, the biggest city. And there they tried to reattach his leg in this huge long surgery. It was too late. It would not reattach. So he had to come to America, got staph infection. So they're celebrating down there. We beat the, the Christian God. Jesus is out. And he had to go through all that process of skin grafting and making a stump and then developing a prosthesis. He was out for quite a while. Then the day came when he put on his prosthesis and walked down the street of that town. Jesus had won. Pouring out your life is something that I've seen in others, but I haven't really experienced it much in the church in America today. So one part of the burden of ministry is the concern about being ineffective. Another aspect is the challenge of giving your all. But Paul wrote about one more aspect of ministry leadership. Only this aspect is not about the burden. It's about the joy of ministry. And I left it last because it's the most important and perhaps where we need to end up. The celebration when it actually works. Because Paul rejoiced that his ministry was not ineffective, verse 16, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ when I get to heaven that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. I want to rejoice that it wasn't ineffective. It worked. The people responded. Something happened here in Philippi. People got saved in spite of the persecution. In spite of what it cost them in their jobs, what it cost them in their reputation, and all the other things that happened here, you guys followed Jesus Christ. 
And I want to rejoice. It was not in vain. Praise the Lord. Not in vain. And he also rejoiced that giving his all paid off. He said, verse 17, Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. That's okay, I'm poured out, and you've given your sacrifice, and I'm adding the oblation on top of that. And Lord, it's great. The libation goes on the sacrifice of meat. And you're part of what you're doing, and I'm giving my part of what I'm doing, and we're all doing it for the glory of God. It's the sacrifice going up to him. And then he said to verse 18, I want you to rejoice with me and be glad as well. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. It's not been ineffective. It hasn't been in vain. We did pour out our lives, but people had come into Christ. Lydia got saved. The Philippian jailer got saved. The woman who was demon-possessed got saved. And we started a church, and God began to move. And he said, why don't we just rejoice and be glad? Now, Christian joy should be mutual. <laughs> All Christians should rejoice when good things happen in ministry. Well, just give them a couple weeks. They'll, they'll calm down. They can do Christians. What do they think they are? Get all excited. What's the matter with them Christians? Murmur, 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 murmur. What's the matter with that pastor? Every week he gets up and challenges us again. Murmur, 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 murmur. The greatest prize or reward that a person can get from ministry is to learn that someone accepted Jesus Christ, that someone surrendered to God's will, that someone followed God's call, that someone is continuing on the ministry that you started, and now it's their turn, and you're so excited, and you're rejoicing, and you're begging them, get going, go, run, labor, but not in vain. Wow. We should be excited for every Christian, for every victory, for every mountain climbed, for every valley gotten through, for everything that God has done for us in our lives, and be rejoicing and excited, and instead we go, well, that ain't nothing. Fifteen years ago, we used to run 300 at that church. Well, I'm sorry, but the people who are running it at 300 aren't here anymore. Ladies and gentlemen, it is us. And us is the ones that are going to have to get excited and get to rejoicing and get to be laboring and get to be doing. Because if we don't, we will be doing And by the way... Something happened that it went from 300 to 100. So not everything was good. Something stopped somewhere. We need to stop focusing on the past and start focusing on what is God trying to do to us today. And God is saying, wake up, church. Let's get going, church. 
And I've been here long enough now to know that if I'm not doing something, it ain't going to happen. If you're not doing something, nothing's going to happen. We've got to do it. It's my problem. It's your problem. We're here now. I can't blame anybody else. I've been here four plus years. It's my fault. It's your fault. You've been here four plus years, most of you. Some of you not so long. Some of you a little longer. It's our issues, right? Oh, that's good. And so the rejoicing is where? He's rejoicing because of... We do it because... If it happens, it's because... But we have to do our part, and then God does the rest. But the glory goes to God because I can't save anyone. You can't save anyone. I can't make anybody surrender. I can't make anybody come to Christ. I can't make anybody give up their bad habits. I can't break down addictions. But I know someone who can. And so if it happens, the rejoicing goes to Jesus Christ. And every time they come and they pray, the rejoicing goes to Jesus. And if they come ten times, the rejoicing goes to Jesus. But one of these days, they're going to get up and walk. And they're not going to be lame anymore. Praise God. And one of these days, they're going to catch it. Somebody you're talking to is going to catch it. Somebody you're praying for is going to get saved. Somebody that you're working on is going to find Jesus Christ. And it will be worth it all. See, rejoicing always points to the work of Christ. Paul was able to see ministry success at Philippi because God used Paul. The Christians were able to grow spiritually and minister to others because God helped them. And when ministry works and people respond to Jesus, then everyone rejoices. And we need to take the time now and then to celebrate what God has done and is doing among his people. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Paul wrote that he rejoiced. Now, Paul wrote that when he was in prison with chains and guards on each side of him. Can you imagine him writing this? Epaphroditus, you're going to take this letter, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm rejoicing. What's going on at the Philippian church? I heard your report. I know you've been sick, but it's going to be okay. I'm rejoicing because God is still moving, the church is still growing. God had moved through his ministry. They became seekers after God and effective ministers themselves in spite of the persecution that they were under. And in Philippi, Paul's hard work paid off. So he's celebrating and praising God. Not so much maybe in some of the other places he was at. But in Philippi, it worked. In this passage, Paul laid out for his readers the burden and the joy he felt in ministry. Ministry, hard, exhausting work. When people do not respond towards God's will, our ministry becomes ineffective. But when people do respond positively, then everyone rejoices. So it's up to the response a lot of times on how we feel, and we need to see response. But the question for each person today is, how do you individually respond to God's leading in your life? 
Because every day, God is leading us to become a better person. I believe that every day, God wants to improve his disciples. I believe that. Because he's doing it to me. How do I respond? How do you respond to God's leading us to become better people? We can respond to God today by delaying our growth, by saying, I plan to do something about it later. Next week, next month, when it quits snowing on Sunday, then I'll respond. Maybe that's why it's snowing every Sunday. (laughs) I plan to do something about it later. Or we can make God really smile. You want to make God smile? You ever thought about that? Just to bless God one day? Just make him go, wow, I love it. I just want to make God smile sometimes. And, And by saying, you know what? I am going to surrender Today to you, Jesus, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. I'm just going to kneel down here in front of God and everybody and say, I'm all yours, God. I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to go where you want me to go. If it means Africa, I'll go to Africa. If it means this person next door, uh, no, God, I don't. Africa sounds good to me. Africa. God says, you got an Africa in your neighborhood. Brazil is just about an Africa. Oh, boy, what did I say? Sometimes we can't do the person next door what we can do on a mission field. But we need to surrender and make the change God wants starting right now. He says, get rid of that murmuring. Stop doing that doubting. Okay, God, let your influence grow. Become a person of integrity. Well, okay, God, that's tough, but I'll do it. I want to improve. I want to be more like Jesus. Let your witness out. Wait a minute. Yes, let your witness out. Let your light go forth with God's word. Oh, wait a minute. See, what's God trying to tell you to do? And why you keep saying later, some other time, when I get older, Folks, you ain't getting much older. If we don't start today, it ain't going to happen when we get older. On Christ the solid rock I stand. On Christ the solid rock I stand. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. If we can't stand on Jesus Christ and do what he's asking us to do, then we might as well just quit church and quit everything. If we can't stand on the rock, Jesus Christ, we can't be a Christian. God is calling us to follow him. Where is he leading us? He's leading us to the deeper walk with him, which includes doing something for him. Change inside and change outside. And how many times have we ended up at the same spot in Sunday after Sunday saying, please, let's respond to Jesus this morning.
So let's stand. And as the praise team comes... Why don't we respond to Jesus this morning? Holy Spirit, it's your time. You do the work. We'll say yes. We will follow you. It's your time, Holy Spirit. You speak to our hearts. We are going to say yes. We will follow you. Holy Spirit, it's your time to do your work. It's our time to say yes. And actually take the steps to follow you. So here we come, Lord. Here we come. We're following you. Change my heart, oh God. Make it
Silence bothers us, doesn't it? That's when God speaks. Listen to his voice. Thank you, Lord, for speaking today. Thank you for allowing us to respond. Thank you, Lord, that your still small voice still speaks. Thank you for that deep felt yes. Hard to look at a cross without saying yes. Thank you, Lord, for dying for us. 
Yes, I will follow you. Yes, yes, yes. I surrender to you. Yes, there's some things I'm going to stop doing. Yes, there's some things I'm going to start doing. Yes, Lord, yes. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to believe. I'm going to receive from you, Lord. So, Lord, we thank you for our time together, and we're going to worship here in a moment. Kind of adjusting our minds and hearts, the fact that God is doing his work within us, so therefore we're going to worship him and live for him and serve him. Seek him, celebrate him, serve him. And that's what we want to do today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your help this week. Thank you, Lord. We're praying that you will continue to be with those that have lost loved ones. We pray for those that are going through changes, jobs, situations in their life. We pray for those that are really struggling with a relationship, with finances, with something in their life. Pray for that one that's questioning, asking God, what are you doing? I pray, Lord, for the one today that has been dragging their feet. I pray for that one, Lord, that has been running too far ahead. Lord, we want to walk with you talk with you, live with you, die for you. Lord, thank you that you are here and you are God. You're the reason we have this worship. And so we surrender to you today as God and Lord and King. Show us, teach us, and we will follow and learn. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We begin to think of all the things that you provide for us. We just say thank you, God. We begin to think about all the blessings that you give us. Thank you, Lord. We've got another day, another week. Thank you, Lord. We've got, Lord, some more time to pray. More time, Lord, to share, share the story. More time, Lord, to live for Jesus. More time to make a difference. We've got the time, Lord, because you're blessing us and helping us and encouraging us. Lord, we pray for physical needs today. We pray, Lord, for spiritual needs today. We pray, Lord, that you will just begin to move today. Thank you, Jesus. We love you because you are moving. You are speaking. People are responding. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. So we worship you. We worship you. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. We hope you enjoyed this sermon. If you're looking for a church in the Brazil, Indiana area, the Brazil Church of the Nazarene invites you to join us as we seek Him, celebrate Him, and serve Him. Sunday morning, we have Sunday school at 9 a.m. and worship at 10 a.m. During worship, we have We Worship for preschool aged kids and a children's church for elementary aged kids. 
For this information, news, a schedule of events, and more, please visit us online at brazilnaz.com. That's B-R-A-Z-I-L-N-A-Z.com. Or visit us in person at 1002 East National Avenue in Brazil. Thank you, and God bless.